Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. And welcome to season four, episode 35 of Undermine, brought to you by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, your host, as we revisit and relive Fish's famous Fall 97 tour. We're diving into each show of that tour on its 25th anniversary. And if you're just joining us, we began this season with 25 shows from the 90s that got us to this point. And here we are in the present past tense. It's November 28th, 25 years later. As always, I'm jo- I'm joined by a co-host, one of two. Guess who? If you're watching on YouTube, you already know, as the ladies will take note of his good looks. But shh, don't ruin it for our Spotify listeners. Okay, spoiler alert. It's Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. Um, before we get started, you know, I just realized this is my big opportunity where I get to quote a lyric back to you. And that is, uh, happy, happy, oh, my friend. Uh, <laughs> you celebrated a birthday. Ah, well, thank you so much. Yes, I've I've been hearing versions of that. Some people say happy number line, which is kind of cool. It's become the fish way of saying happy birthday. So thank you. Yes, November 12th was my birthday. And thank you very much. Uh, you were eight and I wasn't born. <laughs> but uh, definitely let's get, true. Yeah, let's, 
let's get right into the show. Uh, I'll just qualify, you know, I, unlike some of our earlier guests this season, uh, on this night, I was there in the building uh, and I enjoyed myself. You know, the night that we're talking about, uh, and it's also the subject of today's episode, November 28th, 1997. So the venue is the Worcester Centrum. The band, of course, is Fish. And the advertisement claimed that their hands were faster than guns. So now it's the 10th show of the Fall 97 tour. And notably, it's the band's first time playing the Centrum, not on a New Year's Eve run. So, you know, very briefly, their, their first uh, Centrum show was New Year's Eve 93, my first show as well. Then they returned for two shows leading up to New Year's Eve 90, uh, 95 <clears throat> uh, on the four-show run. And now it's it's two years after that. And the band starts a very short-lived but immediately embraced Thanksgiving weekend tradition, Three Nights in Worcester. I wish that tradition continued. <laughs> um, talking of traditions... This is traditionally part of the podcast where I traditionally inform our friends out there listening that, hey, if you're enjoying ourselves, then please help us to continue to entertain you by supporting the show via our new Osiris, Osiris premium offering. It's uh, for less than the price of a drink. You'll get bonus episodes of this show as well as HF Pod, access to the entire Under the Scales catalog, ad-free episodes, meet and greets, AMAs, and even a chance to appear as a guest on one of our shows. After all, how the hell do you think I got here? <laughs> Check out OsirisPod.com backslash premium or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you, uh, Benji, for saying that. I agree with everything Benji just said. You know, Tom, that's actually the thing that I said at the Thanksgiving table this year when we all said what we're thankful for. <laughs> I'm thankful that Tommy G agrees with me. Now pass the cranberry sauce. <laughs> um, one more thing uh, that I think we're also, uh, at least I'm thankful for, and that's that, you know, we all have a lot of memories of these Fall 97 shows. Whether we can remember them is another question, but, you know, we've been sharing our stories and we want to hear yours. So to that end, I would encourage any of you who went to any of these Fall 97 shows to make a one minute video clip telling your tale, weighing your way, dropping your two cents. Post them on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, tag OsirisPod, and we will choose a contributor at random who will win a handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from our friend Tom Marshall. You know, guys, he even promises to make it legible. <laughs> I do. Honestly, Tom, uh, you know, truthfully, this is just, I, I think that's so cool. I'm already jealous of the winner. In fact, uh, let's change the subject. <laughs> so, uh, tell us about our guest today. All right, I'm going to bring him in um, early. Uh, and today's guest is David Goldstein, who co-hosted a popular Osiris podcast called Beyond the Pond with our fellow Undermine executive producer, Brian Brinkman. On that podcast, Brian and David talked about bands other than Fish who are somehow linked via influence or inspiration. Today, we're going to set up guardrails, though, so he stays in one lane and only talks about one band. King Gizzard! <laughs> I will happily talk to you about King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard at another date. Yes, another date. This I is am a, on board. Anyway. This is a fish. Yes, I bet uh, we we figured you'd be. And welcome to our fish podcast, David 
Goldstein. Um, since I didn't give Benji his proper credentials in the intro, you know, New York Times bestselling uh, author and whatever else I'm supposed to say about him. Sorry, Benji. Um, let's check on yours, uh, David. Uh, let's do a little background check. Uh, when did you start seeing fish and anything else you might want to say uh, about you that can help our listeners? <laughs> um, okay. My first fish show was... June 28, 1995, at Jones Beach, Long Island, followed by the next night, June 29th. Let's see, I was 15 years old. So my birthday is in September, so I was 15 at the time and had been hip to fish in the dead via Jewish youth groups, which is uh, many people's first intro to fish and Jewish, the dead. Jewish youth groups, uh, you found out about them in camp, is that right? Uh Camp can be an outcropping of that. This wasn't so much camp as okay. it was just um, stuff in the state of Connecticut where 15-year-old Jewish kids tend to find out about fish dead and marijuana at the same time <laughs> under the guise of hanging out with other Jews. So the parents are like, it's great. Please, please do that. And they're Genius. right. They're right. <laughs> Genius marketing scheme. Exactly. So, yeah, um, summer 95, 35-minute tweezer. That was my first... Uh, this experience. I wish I had Jewish parents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dave, uh, Fall 97 was before the age of real-time streams, pocket downloads, and uh, live fish, of course. So up until this point in the tour, most of the guests that we've talked to who attended the previous shows didn't really have a chance to hear Fall 97 fish until the night in question. Um, but now we're, we're 10 shows deep. The Denver run already happened. Hampton already happened. And even though there weren't instant downloads, Fish Internet was all ablaze with the written word as, you know, dorks like me would gush online about the shows that we caught. So, you know, we were talking about what's it all mean? Have they turned into this hippie rave band? Why is everyone calling it Cal Funk? Were you following along at home? And was this night in Worcester your first chance to see or even hear anything from this tour? Um, It was not because... um. Sorry about that. Um, no, actually, at this point, I was a freshman in college in fall 1997. I was at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, where I know Mr. Marshall is very familiar with as well. And I think at this point, I was new enough tapers and was kind of hooked into the tape trading enough that I was generally able to get a tape about 10 days after the show transpired. So I was very familiar with Europe 97, certainly summer 97 um i think probably i had heard hampton before going to these shows like i have a memory of myself listening to the hampton acdc bag just like transfixed and staring at my stereo and not knowing what the hell was going on so that may have been after <laughs> the shows i can't quite recall just one of those freshman dorm room what does it all mean type things but uh i think i had some kind of idea at this point that there was going to be cow funk involved just based upon having gone to the Great Wen, uh, having heard the summer 1997 shows, especially God the Ghost from, I think, July 23rd, 97 from Atlanta is fucking porno cow funk action to the max. <laughs> so, yeah, I had some idea. I, w I wasn't going in totally blind. This uh, this venue, so it holds a, a spot in my heart ever since they started playing it for that um that that show i guess was that 93 93 and um the way i remember it uh, you know it's 
there's a, a lot of venues that look like this from the inside a fairly typical mid-size hockey arena um but it was built in the 80s which means it actually wasn't all that old when we were there for this weekend 25 years ago um to you um david was this or is this a good place to see fish i've often wondered if worcester is actually a good place to see fish or good just because i've seen fish there i want to say like 10 times <laughs> and it holds a lot of uh you know, I mean, to me, the ultimate fish is minor league hockey arena in Rust Belt, New England in the fall. <laughs> and yeah. this show checks all those boxes. Um, I think it's a good. I don't know. I'm guessing they don't play there anymore, maybe because it's not up to the modern standards of some other arenas. I used to think it was because it wasn't Live Nation, but it actually is a Live Nation venue. Um, mm. But I guess they haven't played there since 2013. So there must be some reason. Right. I enjoyed seeing fish here. I'm from New England. I'm from Connecticut. It wasn't that far from home. The lot scene, despite having lots of broken bottles in the alley behind the venue, was always pretty lively. Uh, I think the next night, I had the worst burrito I've ever had in my life. It tasted like gasoline. <laughs> but if we can get past that, yeah, I think this is a classic venue to see fish, put it that way. No I, mean, I agree. I think we all have, you know, such fond memories of of this, you know, little hockey arena in a town that it, it's not the obvious, you know, like when you say Worcester, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't sparkle like Boston or Philadelphia or New York, but there's definitely something to it, um, you know, because I also, when, when Fish announces shows at Worcester, I mean, I, I, I'm i there. Um, the it band, also, I'll say, just hold a soft yeah. spot for me. Because my first rush show in 1994 is at oh, the Worcester nice. Centrum. What? So. That's awesome. Awesome. Dave, that's amazing because my first show, New Year's Eve 93, in this room, at the end of it, leaving, I asked my friend, you know, my life was forever changed. And my friends that I went with, I asked them what they thought of it after meeting up outside afterwards. And my friend said, that was really good, but I, I can't wait till Rush comes here. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best nights of my life, let me tell you. There you go. So, you know, the band certainly enjoyed their time at, at the venue uh, and it shows itself repeatedly uh, through all their appearances there, definitely throughout this weekend. But here we are. It's a Friday night. Uh, everyone made a mad dash to the middle of Massachusetts from their Thanksgiving dinners the night before. The tryptophan is wearing off. The band seems to come out by making some type of statement, opening the whole run, the three nights uh, there in Worcester with the curtain. It's kind of like an intention setter. Or, you know, it's a change of scene from the holiday dinner. Here we are. Curtain goes up. Let's go. So then in the two spot, Dave, what happens? I'll just first say um, that was pretty much my experience. I saw the Hartford show that um, the Wednesday. And then we had chicken turkey dinner. My grandparents Long Island on that Thursday and Friday off to Worcester. So, yeah, like you said, they start with the first curtain and 57 shows. And then... You enjoy myself. Curtin Yim, 1997. Not much not to like. Not much not to dislike, I should say. And uh, yeah, that you enjoy myself. If you want an example of 1997 effortless laid back funk, much like the ghost in the second set, which we're going to get to. I mean, this Yem is such a flex. This is just laid back, effortless, the funk, the guitar is playing itself. It's got the stop start jamming and instead of doing a vocal jam, it turns into, I didn't know, like there's the essence of the vocal jam and instead of they just kind of go right into the, I didn't know, but just in like revisiting this yam 
for this podcast, I just, the, I mean, the word that comes to mind is just effortlessness. They wanted to play the funk. It's like they've been doing it their whole lives, despite the fact that they really didn't get into the cow funk until March 97, which you wouldn't know that. It's a great, it's a great yum. And like you said, uh, curtain to open into yum. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful moment. Uh, it's one of my favorites so far. I'm going back and listening to some of these shows. I believe I may have been at this show and I'm sorry. I don't know, but I know I went to a couple of these Worcester shows. So, uh, uh I'm, I'm bad at keeping, I've never like took notes and, you know, also mental notes. I don't take very well either, but you I were feel, at the next night. My friend yeah, definitely at the next night. I was wondering, if I was at this one, but anyway, um, uh, then the first vacuum solo of the tour with, I didn't know, like you, you mentioned, um, then May's farmhouse, uh, which was brand new. And then another brand new tune, black eyed Katie. And that one, some have said it's kind of the signature song of the tour. Do you agree with that? And what were your initial impressions from this particular version? Um, yeah, the signature song from the tour in the sense that it kind of announced, like we are into the cow funk, we're going to play the cow funk. You're going to get an instrumental that's nothing but cow funk that allows us to kind of like dabble in that. And it's got a cool name, Black Eyed Katie. <laughs> and on the soundboard of Worcester, um, in between songs, you can hear Paige uh, Trago, Black Eyed Katie. And it happens. But just uh, with regards to that farmhouse, I just wanted to mention, I think that might have been the second or third time they played it in its original key of D. They dropped it down to C. Because when Trey tries to sing it in D, he kind of sounds like a bar mitzvah boy who hasn't gone through puberty yet. <laughs> so smart putting that in C major. But uh, yeah, the Black Eyed Katie, you know, they're all sound pretty similar from night to night. But yeah, it's an excellent piece of instrumental funk. I'll never say no to more fish instrumentals. I loved it in 99 when they were playing Back of the Chicken Shack. So it's uh, it's cool. You know, eventually, Tom, uh, you and your lyricist, Scott Herman, <laughs> would add lines like all throughout, I gaze and glimpse you. And then Black Eyed Katie would transform into what is now known as the MoMA dance. The MoMA dance, the moment ends. Uh, it's obviously a fun play on words. You know, uh, the MoMA dance, moment ends. MoMA dance, the moment ends. Tom, can you solve this? I don't know if it's a mystery, but can you just solve this for us once and for all? Was there, uh, uh, it was either just a playful and purposeful mishear of the lyric, or is there something else there too, like along the lines of an inside joke or a secret smile? <laughs> um, actually, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Before yeah. you answer, I, I just looked at the clock uh, and we have to take a quick commercial break. <laughs> so at least we know, Everyone will stay tuned for that cliffhanger. We'll be right back with Tom's answer and with more from David Goldstein as we discuss Worcester 112897.
Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with our guest, David Goldstein. And before the break, Benji asked me about the song title, The Moma Dance. And if it's just a play on words, The Moma Ends, The Moma Dance. And the survey says, of course, of course it is. We all know that. But during the break, something else came to me. Um, and, and it was kind of how at, at, at some point I was half expecting, like the meat stick, that fish would create a Moma Dance dance. And I think we could all thank Iculus that that never happened. <laughs> um, David, I don't know how you feel about MoMA dance dances or even meat stick dances, but let's talk a few episodes back. One of our guests brought up the idea of Black Eyed Katie as a bust out. If given the, you know, currently, if given the chance between that and a jammed out MoMA, which would you choose? I would pick the Black Eyed Katie just from the novelty aspect of it. I mean, it would be... Need to see who could pick it out as opposed to say, oh, Black Eyed Katie versus Moma Dance. I like the Moma Dance. I mean, I like jammed out versions. Sometimes I think it's a bit of a first song, first set, second song, first set crutch. Sometimes I kind of use that as a chance to go get a beer while funking outside. But, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think a Black Eyed Katie bust out would be neat, although I think also kind of that that ship has sailed. There's other songs I would, would prefer they bust out before that. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. Uh, I mean, I always love uh, Jammed Out Mama, um, but I, but Black Eyed Katie, there's the novelty of it, right? Because they yeah. haven't done it for so long. What was the um, recent Jammed Out Mama? Was it like Atlantic City? Atlantic City was a Jammed Out Mama, yeah. Yes, that was fucking awesome. It was great. Uh, there was a few in 4.0 actually that that have really really stretched out and were just phenomenal, um, but uh, you know I, I I have a soft spot for the song itself. I just love it. Um, but let's actually move forward into the the five song second set. You know it's it's interesting. I say five song second set. I know that everyone wants the four song second set, but five if you look at timings, five just kind of means it went longer, right? <laughs> so. Um, do we skip right to the ghost? Uh, no. Good. Tell me what would be missing out if we did. 
You'd be missing out on hearing fish in fall 1997s, which you're missing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everything, this is, just, I mean, fall 97, we've got a band that was pushing every possible right button. Like, how can you be this good at, at like your job? So everything, yeah. When you see, right, Timberhoe, excellent, lively, jammed out version, limb by limb, it doesn't ever change keys. It's still a pretty new song at that time, but it's a very strong. Interesting little conversion. I mean, Slave to the Traffic Light, third song in set two. I mean, none of it appears all that exciting on paper, but these are excellent versions by a band at the top of their game. So definitely. <clears throat> limb by Limb, too, had peeps that they don't really do with it anymore. And it had this yes. kind of like up and down, you know. Yeah, a yep. journey. It was a journey. Yep, exactly. And then uh, we we do, of course, though, have to talk about that ghost. D Dave, How do you how do you remember it? Well, I will say it's probably the single ghost I listened to more than any other ghost in my fish career. Really? Oh. It might be my single favorite version of the song because it's just, we go back to the word effortlessness. And if you like slap bass, if you want to hear Mike Gordon in your chest, all the work that the people for a louder Mike did, this is, uh, he's not playing the bass so much as he has an instrument. It sounds like it's full of, like elastic bands just like popping <laughs> just popping off yeah. almost like less clay pool in the sense of the popping dexterity mm. but with this ghost <clears throat> it's basically the entire bag of cow funk tricks it's got the tray breakdown jamming it's got the stop start jamming it has a motif at the end where Trey's playing quietly. It's like a cat and mouse game. He's stringing you along. He's stringing you along. He brings it up. This is like superhero shit. Like, I can't imagine any one point on a ghost in the band is this incredibly locked in. Johnny be good. It's just like a logical, a logical progression. The only way to end the 65 minute set is with Johnny be fucking good after that ghost. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You know, uh, there's other, I also love the Atlanta ghost that you brought up earlier mm. um, as one of my favorites, you know, and I know that when we mentioned Black Eyed Katie just a few minutes ago, we said how, you know, it, a lot of people have viewed it as kind of the signature tune of the tour, but ghost was kind of the song of the year, you know? Um, yeah. Starting with the like um the first show in US Shores at yep. uh Virginia July twenty yeah, I'm sorry, right, July twenty-first, Virginia Beats opened that show with Ghost, a really extended version with a statement of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you know, on Twitter, we can work uh and the guys at Wood Plus in collaboration mm -hmm. with, with our guy, Brian Brinkman, 
Um, it's good guy, Brian Bregman. Yes. It's good guy. Um, so they did a ghost bracket recently where they ranked all the top ghosts by taking votes on a playoff style, you know, matches. Um, not surprisingly, this one did very well, but ultimately lost to 11-17-97, which was Denver. Literally just two versions prior to this. Right. And then you have the Hamptons ghost in between. You know, you said just a few moments ago that this ghost might be your favorite ghost of all time. What other ghosts do you think made that podium for you? Um, I love Atlanta 97, July 23rd. That just gets to a peak where limbs flailing and flying. Um, more recently, this one's kind of unsung, I think. October 23rd, 2018 from Nashville, the first night of a two-night run at Nashville. That has some Trey Gordon interplay where it sounds like they're sword fighting. That's just like some incredible, incredible peaks. With regard to the November 1797 version from Denver, um, to me, that one has a sense of discovery. Like the band is realizing their toolbox. They're looking at it. They can't believe what they had. They're like, my God, we can do this and this. The sky is the limit. It's like they're opening the, the fucking treasure chest and it's shining in their face. Whereas 11 days later in Worcester, they've mastered the tools. So this yeah, is I think that just sets the intention for the rest of the tour. 1117. Yeah. Whereas yeah, November 28th, it's just I mean, I'll give you an analogy I've been thinking of. When I think of fish in the fall of 1997, there's a restaurant uh, in Chicago. Me and my wife like go into a lot, not a lot, I've been three times, called Alinea. It's uh the great Granakets. It's a huge price fixed meal. It's expensive and everything is so delicious, but it's so fun that as you're eating the meal, you're like laughing to yourself the entire time. It's like you're eating and you're laughing. You're saying, how can anybody be this good at their job? This is incredible. And that's fish November of 1997. You're rocking out, but you're laughing, saying, how can this be this good? How can they be this dialed in? And this ghost to me is an excellent example of that because it practically sounds composed. You know, it, it it's such a good description, Dave. It's like uh, you look around at the fans. Um, everyone was like this this family, uh, and everyone was smiling, and the band was smiling. It was like it was incredible. I remember. I think I remember the happiness kind of the most. Uh, you know, of that time, and and just how great the music was. Um, so you're you're so right. I, I got to check out that restaurant too. This sounds amazing, and, mm. and I'm I'm drooling now. But uh, uh, Fish finishes the night, as you said, with with Johnny Be Good, which Trey loved playing. Right? It's like well, Hendrix's version. You know, that's what he's that's what he's playing. And then uh, uh, a My Soul encore, and you leave, but you came back both uh, the next two nights. And no, I didn't come back Sunday. Oh, okay. Okay. You came back in two nights. Um, at the end of the weekend, where, where did, where did this particular show stand in the context of the run for you and in the context of, of fall 97 at large? Um, it was my favorite of the three, mm. the, uh, the next night I actually was on the rail for the, <laughs> that night we had, we scored mail order tickets really well. So for the 29th, nice. the runaway gym, it's an hour long. It's impressive. Sometimes I think it gets a bit dull, but uh, that's one man's opinion. I was kind of struggling to stay awake at points. That was actually the night when um, your buddy Big Phil kind of kicked us out of our seats a, 
up front. <laughs> uh, is there a reason that were you guys misbehaving? No, I think I've told you this story before. Um, for the listeners, um, me and my buddies are up front and then at set break, and then we get back and we see this very large man kind of sitting in our rail seats at set break. <laughs> I'm thinking, who the hell is this guy? But my friend Kevin spoke to him and became friendly with him. And so he gave Kevin the backstage pass to go see you, Tom, and the band, and he didn't give me anything. So that was <laughs> that, that was big Phil. But I I forgive you. It's okay. That was the Braves. So, so you got you got kicked out of your seat by a very friendly person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not so much kicked out. We didn't we wouldn't get kicked out, it just became more cramped. Um but also a person that you wouldn't want to you know hassle or, or tussle with in any way. Exactly. You tell me he's like very nice and brings candy and like pretzels backstage. And, and so I deserve your front row seats. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um <laughs> the third night of the run, I probably listened to the least. It's got that incredibly heavy, cool Wolfman's brother and the funky bitch in the first set. It's got the Buddy Miles encore. But I don't it's a very good show by any objective standard. I just haven't listened to it as much. Got it. I think that's going to do it for us today. Um, we're going to go into those shows, as you know, uh, 25 years after they actually happen. And uh, so thank you so much, David Goldstein, for joining us. And thanks to my co-host, Benji Eisen, for asking all the hard questions. RJB, you too, and the entire Osiris team, especially Eric Limarenko and Matt Dwyer, for making all this work from behind the scenes. And let me give a quick shout out to our friends over at Cash or Trade. Hi, Brando, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Check out all the tickets at cashertrade.org. Coming up next, like I said, two more nights at the Worcester Centrum. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And until then, feel free to take the Worcester gym out for a spin and blaze the most on. Thank you, Benji. Thank you, David. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Osiris. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.